One after another, he broke two necks. Each time there was a frenzied but nearly soundless kicking and a quiet crunching sound as the bones gave way. Sickened, I pulled on the chain, like a panicked man trying to rein in a runaway horse. The Aetolian, feeling the tug at his ankle, turned to me, murder in the set of his shoulders. Spineless, I let him have the slack he needed. He faced me a moment longer, then took up a log from beside the fire and, swinging it hard, clubbed the next man and the next. The slavers were finally aware of their danger, but it was too late. As those remaining leapt up, the Aetolian swung his club and laid each one out in turn. Action hero. Legit action hero. <laughs> Welcome back, action heroes! I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. It's May 30th, 2021, and today we're discussing Chapter 6 of Thick as Thieves. We're halfway through the book! Yeah! Which is We're halfway through crazy. the second to last book. Uh. <laughs> and this is this is a cool chapter. This is a big chapter for Costas. Mm-hmm. And for Kamet, too. Just like we were saying at the beginning of last chapter, Kamet is the one who comes up with the plan in this chapter and does all the talking. Yeah, he really takes the lead. Yeah. And Costas wants to fight. And Kamet says, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. And without his quick thinking and his thinking of a story for why they aren't the uh, the two that the slavers are hoping for for the imperial reward, uh, they would have been sunk. Which is not to say that Kamet is now totally comfortable and um, totally confident in his relationship with Costas, because he still assumes at the end of this chapter that he's going to pay some sort of price with Costas mm-hmm. for uh, kicking him. Yeah, it's more of a needs must, desperate times, desperate measures type of taking charge (laughs) yeah but i think kamet he sort of um he does this kind of naturally out of instinct but he didn't i don't think it's something that he would have thought himself capable of before he was put into this situation Mm -hmm. and he's not really reflecting on it right now like when he has time to think he goes back to those old ways of thinking and you kind of get the sense that kamet is used to needing to know how to act when he's still afraid like this and panicked. Like, he Mm -hmm. shows a lot of presence of mind here. He really covers all his bases with, okay, we have to seem like we are not the droids they're looking for, (laughs) and we also have to make it so it makes sense that these particular people would be traveling together. Mm -hmm. So he comes up with a whole backstory really quickly. Yeah. And he tells Costas, like, okay, you need to play dumb. You need to look at the ground. Don't say anything. Don't think anything because everything you're thinking shows up in your face. <laughs> and the plan, uh, the the excuse, the backstory hinges on Costas being good looking. Quote, very good looking, very good unquote. Looking. Really, really ridiculously good looking. Because Kamet's trying to explain why somebody like Costas, who looks like he picks things up and puts them down, is would be escaping with um a house slave and so he comes up with this story that costas because he's so really really ridiculously good looking had been brought inside the house as a quote-unquote pet for the mistress so we're getting more sexual violence Mm -hmm. which then comes up again because 
then the slavers start talking about how good-looking Costas is, and Kamet thinks, oh no, maybe I shouldn't have sold this story so convincingly, and then they come over, uh, one of them uh, comes over to Costas, kind of menacingly, and that's what precipitates this whole uh, thing that ends in um, kicking and strangling. And it's interesting the way that both sex and sexual violence show up in these books in relation to the fact that these are have the status of novels for children because she never doesn't do it she never leaves it out i i wonder what the what the editorial line there is because i don't know if i would understand this scene if i were 12 was it just the thief that's marketed for kids they were officially marketed as middle grades so like 8 to 12 at least through Queen of Atolia. Right, even the Queen of Atolia. And now I think that they have been moved up to teenagers. I remember we talked about that. I think that reshelving was um, was probably at Thick as Thieves. Because that's when yeah. the, the new covers were released. And the new covers are very much more of a... Uh, they're trying to look more mature. But I wouldn't say that there was a, a significant change in the nature of the content at all. It's just a marketing, yeah. a marketing decision. If you go off of our listener stats, most of our <laughs> listeners are in their 20s. I mean, The Thief came out in, uh, what was it, 1992? 1996? 1996. Six. Six, uh, I think. And uh, so I think most of the readers are are not new and therefore no longer in the, uh, in the young, in the youth category. <laughs> <laughs> and it's never... You know, something significant, I think, about her inclusion of these themes is it's never in there for no reason. You know, like other fantasy authors <laughs> put it We're in not going to name like, names. You know. <laughs> Sexuality and power and um, sexual violence um, versus uh, true relationships is sort of a, a an undercurrent throughout this whole book i mean we're about to get to godecker and all that mm -hmm. and it's interesting that Kamet talks about or at least clearly references sex when he's talking about sexual violence and uh, sex used for power but he doesn't talk about it in any other context really except where it already exists in the amy cook and Anakar stories like yeah. it's i mean it you could read a lot into the missing days in the Tamet Mountains, but whatever kind of intimacy is happening, he doesn't talk about it. And there are all sorts of reasons for that, but I think that that's um, the presence of one and the absence of the other is, is interesting. I kind of read this and think, you know, I mean, my first assumption is that Kamet has not experienced that type of intimacy mm -hmm. without violence attached. Yeah. And um, this is going to come up more next chapter, especially. Oh, one thing that I wanted to add about uh, sexuality in general is um, we don't know a ton of details about how they conceive of same-gender relationships in these societies, but we do know that uh, this is not a world where they, where they have a concept of, like, being gay, which makes sense because that's a 
pretty modern concept in the real world that you have like a stable sexuality that exists in you independent of like things that you do with people um and so that's also a thing to to think about when we think about um sex and relationships um and sex and power Mm. a word i had to look up for uh, this chapter was if i am saying it correctly oh never mind i was gonna say it wrong (laughs) anyway (laughs) so reading it reading it sounding it out it's a man you yes I, I looked up the pronunciation, cool. and you were right. It's amanuensis. <laughs> uh, which is what Kamet tells the slavers. He says, um, I am my mistress's major domo and amanuensis. And an amanuensis is a literary or artistic assistant, in particular one who takes direction or copies manuscripts. Kamet uh, really, like, he can't hide the fact that he is educated. Like, mm-hmm. never at all, even a little bit. It's one of the fundamental things about him that people notice the second that they see him. And it defines how they relate to him. Here, uh, it is what keeps the slavers from just killing the two of yeah. them. Um, and Cambit and Costas are uh, juxtaposed with the slaves that these people are transporting. Um Camet narrates, when I saw the slaves, my heart constricted, and then goes on to describe them as the most miserable souls of the human race are this type of slave who works in the mines. They're skeletal. You know, 15 of them wouldn't have been a match for this one healthy man left to guard him. Guard them, excuse me. And um, he says, when they spoke to ask for food, the whispered supplications like the voices of those already in the gray lands, the dead lands. And again, just like in, um, all right, <laughs> don't test me on the city name, just like in the city where they went to go uh, see Traba? the well. Co- Traba? Was it Traba or was it Coadster? I don't know. The well the place city. with the Traba. well. We, yes. Uh just like in that city it's cooperation with the slaves here that gets them out of this yeah um and he says they wake up each guy yeah. in turn and each of them has the opportunity to warn the slavers in the hopes of being rewarded and saving his own skin and none of them do and that's the ah cam it slaves don't do favors for each other but solidarity between slit you're right it's the only thing that gets them out of this like multiple situations they also uh leaving the slavers had they had they not been collaborating with this group of people, um, Kemet also narrates, we would have missed the spring on our own, so that they wouldn't have had water either. Even this group of people, the most miserable souls of the human race, are compassionate towards each other as well. One of the slaves says, like, I'd like to take a mule, but I won't take a mule if there is someone who needs it more. Yeah. And they send them to a particular temple that's a refuge for escaped slaves where you can essentially go and take refuge and become a monk what do we think about costas's violence towards camet yeah in this scene? i forgot about that and i you know i was surprised and like i kept waiting for it to turn you know for there yeah to be some like sort of explanation it's just a trick to throw the slavers off the track or whatever but like no it really seems to be just a a fight reaction you know he's just completely and totally 
lost yeah, his mind. Yeah. That this is his friend doing this for a reason. It's just, I'm attacked, so I'm gonna kill that person. He just person. goes into, like, he's been trained to do that. Yeah, he's just in kill mode. And then he goes and he, it's, there's a Key and Peele sketch, which is a parody of, like, an 80s action movie where the hero is going and he's snapping everybody's necks. And that's, that's what I picked this scene like. <laughs> he, he cleans up. It's, like, a lot of people. I don't know if we could account, but, like, I've seen the theory that, at least I believe this is what the theory was saying. I've seen someone think that, um, Costas's rage in this scene and attacking Kamet specifically was him being possessed by the god Eugenides. Like Jen was later, and I, yeah, I don't buy I, it. I would love to have a different explanation that it's just Costas doing this, but... You know, I don't think it's necessary for us to look at these people we're all rooting for and see them do bad things and try and explain away the bad things automatically. And we had previously only seen Costas in his capacity as a palace guard, which is, he's a guy Mm -hmm. who stands around, but that is not all he's ever done. He's been in bad, and like since he was very young. There's obviously quite a distinction between murderous rage unleashed towards your enemies and towards your friends which it's interesting that some of atolia's worst moments are when she lashes out in anger and hurts the people around her condemning Tileus and relius food for thought i don't know where to go with this exactly but just something to in the in the scene where where costa strangles camet there's sort of a a, like a a masculinity connotation or undercurrent because Kamek kicks him in the balls. And he specifically refers to it as his manhood. Yeah, and it's right after the guy comes up to Costas in like this sexually charged, threatening capacity. Right. There's a lot going on there. Also in the scene, severed hand. Severed hand! God! There's a lot of, there's a lot of violence in this chapter and in this book in general. And it's easy to, to, I mean, not to miss, but to not be greatly impacted by, because uh, the prose is very matter-of-fact about it. It's just a severed hand, and then he throws it in the fire. You know? It's not graphic, except it is, if you bother to imagine it. We get more about uh, Kamet's national identity in this chapter also. He narrates... Um, after, after Costas has said, like, oh, uh, our pursuers are looking for an Aetolian and a Cetran when they're talking to the other slaves. Um, Kamek narrates, I had not felt myself a Cetran in a long time, nor Mead either, for that matter. And then, uh, continues a little later. I had no homeland, but perhaps the Aetolian only wanted to think of me as something other than Mead because he hated the Meads. Or because he hated and respected the Medes, but merely hated me. I'm curious about why he was so um, unaware of his Cetran identity when he was with Nehusaresh. Like, because it seems like people mm. reference it all the time, and it's something people notice about him when they first meet him. And um, was it not? something that that he interacted with when it's been brought up the two or three times so far in the book he's felt surprised at this i would just kind of guess it's something that 
wasn't remarked yeah. upon. I guess maybe now um, Irrelevant, he's being maybe. pursued, and so um, he has to be identified specifically, and before he was beneath notice, right? As he describes it. Yeah. And so, like, even basic things. I mean, how often do you think he even ever looked in the mirror? And he says that that it's, it's very common for slaves to be foreigners. So you can kind of imagine that he might have been just one foreigner among mm-hmm. many. And since, I mean, I assume that ties with their countries of origin and families of origin would have been purposely broken just like in real life slavery. So you can you can make the assumption that national origin, and you know, we've already discussed how Kemet didn't even have any any sort of real community either and um the last thing i wanted to mention was um what precipitates this whole fight scene Kamet starts yelling at costas to try and save them from an even worse scene and costas says i am sorry as if an apology in this predicament was helpful. He didn't call me Morak, and this wasn't an act. So Costas is really genuinely thinking that Kamet is that pissed at him. six next time we get another myth send us your comments questions and thoughts chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com be blessed in your endeavors Thank you.